Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 5 of the Now in the Future podcast. As part of Women's Health Week, today's episode focuses on resilience and well-being with mentally wealthy founder and mum, Donna Thistlewaite. Donna is a health and resilience facilitator and her passion for mental health is fueled by a lived experience of a suicide attempt back in 2012. She is focused on building awareness around mental health and the capability of others to recognise symptoms in themselves and others and to promote help-seeking. This episode is beneficial not just to mums, but has valuable information for all members of the community. Please enjoy this discussion about looking after you. Well, welcome to uh, our Now in the Future podcast, a special podcast for Women's uh, Health Week. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Carly. My pleasure. So I'm Carly. I'm the lead education consultant here at Down Syndrome Queensland. I'm also a mother of two. I have a four-year-old son who has Down Syndrome and I have a two-year-old daughter. I wonder if you could tell us a little about you. Okay. So Donna Thistlewaite and I am a resilience and mental health speaker and trainer. Mm-hmm. I'm also a mum. Uh, I only have one child and I had him at 42. So older mum, he's now 13 and um, yeah, uh, like all the joys of parents, Parenting, um, you know, very real to me and the challenges that come with parenting because there certainly can be some. I have uh, history as a HR professional and I also have a lived experience of a mental health crisis and, um, yeah, that fuels my interest in this topic. It can be a real insight into other people's experiences, I imagine, that empathy. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's really common to experience mental health challenges. Almost half of us will in our lifetime. So 20% of us in any year experience a mental health problem and, yeah, 45% of us over our lifetime. Wow. 
and women are women. overrepresented yeah. in those figures. Which is why we're talking about it for Women's Health yeah. Week. Women's mental health is really important. Um, we, we've decided to focus on that for Women's Health Week because... Yeah. Um, you know, there's numerous studies that have shown that parents of children with disability have a high proportion of mental health issues and yeah. particularly mothers. Yes. Why do you think that might be? Oh, goodness, mothers. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. Gosh, I mean, there's those multiple roles that we have as a mother you know the often we're working um i know both of us are mm. uh and then also you know the mental load you know carrying the weight of that at home i i think the fact that the structure of families have changed over time so we've often gone back to work but you know there can be an imbalance of that sort of um, caring and domestic duties that happens at home mm. and so I feel like there's can be a lot of pressure on women mm. and uh, you know if, if you add into that you know caring for um, a child with a disability uh, it is a lot of load to carry. Mm. Yeah, and I think some of that load stems not necessarily from the child themselves, although there are mm. things that are different about parenting a child with disability, but yeah. from society. Yes. I mean, parents are working within a society where there's a lot of ableism and prejudice yes. against people with disability. They're constantly yes. advocating for their child for inclusion, for yeah. acceptance. Yeah. So those things also feed into it, I think. Yeah, in addition to all of these other sort of responsibilities that mums seem to have. Mm. And the difficulties in terms of getting childcare or inflexible work arrangements some people yeah. have. And if you have a child with disability, who might also have health conditions that require mm. you to have lots of appointments and take mm. time off or, you know, need that flexibility and not all workplaces have that, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And mm. flexibility with childcare. <laughs> or, yes. you know, school hour, yeah. school hour care. Mm. There's a lot of systemic issues as well yeah. out there. Yeah, and there's lots of systems that parents need to navigate particularly with the child disability NDIS and the hospital system and yeah to work out how do I how do I navigate all these things and how do I um you know get the best outcomes for my child yeah yes. absolutely and I have no doubt there's a lot of bureaucracy around yeah. that sort of stuff as well yeah yeah um so in thinking about that and, and in the high rates of mental health crises or illness that can occur mm. what are some of the signs we should look out for yeah so I, I think um things to be aware of and maybe um like changes in your appetite maybe you're eating more or you're eating less than usual I'd be on the lookout for like um, negative thoughts maybe like a more negative thoughts than usual uh Disruptions to sleep, mm. you know, maybe sleeping more or less. Uh, what's some other things? Um, racing heart, mm -hmm. um, muscles, muscle aches and pains, gastrointestinal issues. Uh, is, these are some of the common symptoms that someone might be experiencing a mental health problem. Mm. Uh, you know, individual sort of um, signs or symptoms, you know, that, that might just be just normal life. Mm. But if we see a cluster of these or experience a cluster of these sort of symptoms, it could be an indication that we might be experiencing a mental health problem and that, you know, we should uh, reach out to somebody to have a chat. Mm. 
Mm. Um, maybe not being able to switch off as well, really, really busy mind, just sort of like not quite feeling yourself. I know for me when I'm experiencing a mental health problem, it's like I'm really sluggish. It's like I'm just wading through mud. So mm. I feel heavier, things feel harder than usual. Mm. How do you differentiate between when... You know, it's the general stress of life, mm. which can cause a lot of those yes. things you were talking about versus it actually being a mental health issue that might need yeah. some help with. Great question, Carly. <laughs> so um, generally I would say it comes down to three things, okay? And uh, one is duration, how long you're feeling like this. So if it's been going on for a couple of weeks, mm. might be time to talk to somebody. Uh, intensity, how strong the feelings are. You know, if, we're, if it's really intense or having trouble switching off, feeling really distressed mm -hmm. uh, and then the impact what impact it's having on your life you know mm -hmm. is it stopping you from being able to work or is it stopping you from enjoying life experiences that usually bring you joy mm -hmm. that would be another symptom as well mm -hmm. not um, feeling joy feeling numb you know just feeling like um, you know you're just emotionless um or the other extreme you're really emotional you know you're crying mm. you, you're really sort of reacting a lot mm. to stuff that wouldn't usually you know raise an issue for you yeah so what what do you think's the first what are the first steps if we think this might be something we're experiencing yeah. I think the most important step is to reach out to someone, mm -hmm. okay? So maybe it's even a friend in the first instance. Uh, talk to people about what's going on. Don't just keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. I found that even just sharing what's going on with somebody can really just be helpful. It's like mm -hmm. it... Um, it can actually cause me to have a bit of a shift to just have that, okay, it's it's not as bad as I think it is. Sometimes just talking mm. can help me process what's going on. It's really true that old adage, a problem uh, shared is a problem halved, yeah. you know. Um, it's amazing. Um, but then also, you know, depending whether that's having an impact, depending how long this is going on for, mm. it might be really useful to reach out to someone professional. So mm. the GP is an awesome starting point. You know, the GP will generally know us. Uh, you know, they'll be able to rule out physical illness mm. or injury that might be having an impact. Sometimes people are having, you know, thyroid issues. Mm. might be a side effect from a medication. They might actually have an injury that's, you know, sort of been hanging around for a while and it's, you know, now chronic and oh my gosh, that can be so draining for us and, and can really challenge our mental health. Mm. So GP, awesome starting point. And then there's a host of professionals that can be really amazing in this space as well. Psychologists, psychiatrists, even some occupational therapists, mm. mental health nurses, um, counsellors, so many different people that can help. And the GP can be really cool because they can put in place a mental health plan that means those sessions can be subsidized mm. maybe even free depending on what someone's circumstances are yeah do you feel like um there's a shift in society around the stigma around mental health because that can stop people yes. from speaking out sometimes i think it absolutely can mm. and i think we're making progress mm. uh i personally think it's 
probably one of COVID's silver linings Mm. that people are having more of these conversations now and, you know, it's normalising and destigmatising. But I still think we've got a really long way to go. You know, it's there's a lot of shame associated with this. Mm. We often personalise it. We think it's a failing on our part, and um, we need to get rid of that. We need to mm. break down the stigma and and really just let people know that this can happen to any of us. And the sooner we get help. Mm. the less help we'll need and also the quicker we can get back on track and just Mm. feel well again and you know be able to find that joy in life yeah so important so mums are often very time poor people yes so what are some kind of strategies that we can use to uh, stay mentally wealthy yeah um that don't take up too much time yeah like people will often say to me i don't have time for mm. self-care i don't have time for resilience strategies and i do like to challenge that right because there are some things that we truly can slip into the cracks of a busy life okay an example would be music like for me you know music just brings mm. me so much joy so you know in between activities you know on our way to something we can pop on a tune that brings us joy. You know, I've got this, like, I call it my good vibe playlist. It's got staying alive, um, I was made for loving you, you know, happy, all of these songs that actually light me up. And so popping something like that on, you know, it could be three minutes, but it has the power to change our state. Mm little things like just getting outside and planting our feet on the grass you know nature is incredible for our well-being so um you know grounding ourselves Mm. just being uh on the grass even for like five or ten minutes can have an amazing effect on our nervous system Mm. Um, why is standing barefoot on the grass helpful versus just being in nature yeah um so i think it's because it has a grounding effect Mm. uh and then i think we're getting all the benefits of being outside anyway Mm. you know the sunshine the vitamin d and yeah there's there's apparently um a term for being out in nature called biophilia and um and it's been proven to improve our well-being Mm. there's even a concept called forest bathing which i think has its foundations in japan and there are groups that you know take you out to forest bathe but you could actually just you Mm. know self-administer some forest bathing and so being in nature has been found to improve our well-being and our productivity because often when we get busy we just think we have to keep powering through Mm. but what happens is we actually become less effective Mm. and by taking a short break we can slow our nervous system down and we've been proven to be more productive in the time directly after that another one i've got for you Mm. is just being mindful Mm. So I just trained a group in mental health first aid yesterday and they had homework the night before to actually do a deliberate act of self-care. So had to plan something, act, execute something just for themselves mm. because self-care is so important if you're going to be helping other people, right? Yeah. And there's a message in that for yeah, mums, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> you cannot give your own mask first. from an empty <laughs> cup. Love that mask metaphor, right? Mm. So um, I set the homework and one of the gentlemen shared yesterday that he had taken his dog for a walk. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. And he said, I said, is that something you regularly do? And he said, yes, 
But what I did this time was that I was really present when I walked my dog. I was really in the moment, I was very intentional. And I was like, yay. So he's doing something he's always doing, but he's actually being there. Mm. So this is not going to take any extra time, right? He was already walking the dog, but he probably just had this stream of consciousness. Mm. They say that we have, um, I don't know, what is it? Um, 55 to 70,000 thoughts a day, but 95% of them are the same ones we had yesterday, right? So we're just like ruminating on all of this stuff. So what he did actually was just be aware of his surroundings, you know, be mindful of the dog. I've done some dog training recently. I've got a rescue Mm -hmm. greyhound and we have to hold the leash in a certain way, right? And my Mm -hmm. son was like, well, that's a bit of a drag holding it like that. Like, you know, it's just, it's like you've got to hold on. And then I was like, yeah, that's true. But because I'm holding it in the way I am, I'm actually really conscious of the lead. But it doesn't take any extra time to be mindful. We're not actually adding anything into our schedule. We're just being present. Yeah. The same with breathing, right? We are already breathing. So if we actually just be conscious mm. of the breath, if we feel our breath coming in and out of our body, like, again, we're not adding anything in. We're just being aware of what's happening. And so that's a mindfulness practice, and that's been shown again to calm our nervous system down and, you know, just really help us, our well-being mm. by being present. So there's a few little, I, I could talk yeah, all day yeah. about this, Carly, you know. What about um, strategies for building our resilience so that when these difficult situations or stressful yes. times come, we feel better yeah. to deal with it? Yeah, so I think those things, absolutely. Mm. I think too, one of my favourites is I've got a gratitude practice. It's been going for five years Mm -hmm. and every day for others and myself, uh, we text three things that we're grateful for Mm. and uh, that has been a life changer. Now, you can practice gratitude in lots of different ways. You can write it in a journal. I had this great concept of like um, involving the whole family and put your gratitudes in a jar and at the end of the year you tip them out and you reconnect (laughs) with the joy those things brought you uh with mine what i love about this practice of texting is that you've got accountability Mm. okay so these people are expecting to get my gratitudes i get a reminder sometimes i'm not the first to send Mm. my gratitude so i'll get a reminder from them i used to write it in a journal but i often used to forget and remember just as my head hit the pillow you know Mm. um what i hadn't appreciated that i think is one of the best things about this practice is that you actually get to vicariously live the joy of other people. Mm. So we hear a lot about vicarious trauma. We do not hear enough about vicarious joy. Really? <laughs> Is there even a term, you know? I get it through my children all the time, so it makes sense. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. And so the practice that we have, um, not only are you acutely aware of what's great in your own life, but you actually get to witness other people's lives and that's just so powerful um and you get to experience their joy you know you exposed to what's great in their life and so the people in my group I didn't know them all that well when we started so a friend and I started it and uh we grew the group to five and we're like oh who else do we know we could invite in and um the only thing 
all of us have in common is that we run our own businesses but the ages range from like now 31 but she was 25 when we began to like 70 Mm. Uh, and yeah and we're all women that's the only other uh, and oh we're not all mums one of them one of us isn't a mum but yeah it's just been such a privilege to get to know people at this level and to witness their lives. Amazing. So, yeah, I'd say gratitude practices. And so it's got research behind it too. Mm. Lots of research now. And um, Brené Brown, you might know, maybe some of the listeners know her work. And if they don't, like seriously, you've got to get on to Brené Brown. She's got an amazing podcast called Unlocking Us. Um, I don't believe she's recording it anymore, but there's a couple of years back catalogue there. Great for self-awareness and um she found in a study they did that a hundred percent of people who identified as joyful had a gratitude practice and she said not an attitude of gratitude but an actual practice Mm. and so i really encourage people to do gratitude again breathing i think goal setting can be really really amazing uh, for our resilience too so having things to look forward to uh, and they don't have to be really big things either recently i went through another um, mental health challenge and sort of the biggest one i'd had in the last uh, 10 years My, my last one was in 20 12 and I had to really look at what was going on in my Mm. life and and one of the things that I did when I was moving out of that was really thinking about what brings me joy and I was like I love to laugh right (laughs) so I was like how can I have more humor in my life Mm. and my partner and I went to a comedy night uh I've now asked some friends about about going on a comedy cruise and where they've agreed to that. I know, right? So it's just like um, three three nights out of Brisbane. We're doing that between Christmas and New Year. Not super expensive. You know, it's only a three-day cruise, but it's something that I'm now looking forward to. And they say research has shown that that anticipation of a holiday can actually be as good or even better for our well-being than the actual event, right? Because... We're excited about it. You know, we've got all of the sort of great, you know, vision, imagination about what it's going to be like. We have to be careful we don't, you know, (laughs) get disappointed with the real thing. Um, But, you know, that anticipation can be much, much longer than, you know, like say, for instance, the three-day cruise. Mm. Yeah. So um, I think it's about finding things that bring you joy and making sure you prioritize those in your life. Okay. So I'm a cyclist. It's what I call my thing. I've got a few things, you know, music, dancing, moving my body, but uh, cycling brings me so much joy. So I do that three times a week mm-hmm. and it's non negotiable. Uh, I had seven years off my bike because after my son was born, it was really hard to fit in. Mm. And I had to think, uh, a business coach actually challenged me and he said, when you speak about that, you light up. Like, why is that not in your life? And I said, well, my partner starts work at 6 a.m. on the other side of town six days a week and we we cycle at 5.30 in the morning. You know, I can't put my child in a cupboard. And he's like, <laughs> you need to find a way. And that was the challenge I needed. Mm-hmm. So I asked my mother-in-law if my son could sleep over there one night a week, mm-hmm. which he did for 
for years. Mm. I also actually, um, the gym, I used to drop my son over at my mother-in-law's on a Tuesday morning to go to the gym and then they made the times 15 minutes earlier. So it starts at 5.45 and I was like, my mother-in-law doesn't get up that early, especially not in winter. And so they let me bring my son to the gym Mm. and he would sit in the foyer with his iPad, I hate to admit, <laughs> uh, while I was in the RPM class. And um, and that lasted for years. Now he's 13, he, he can stay home. But, mm. yeah, it's about thinking at th- about things from that how lens. How mm. can I make this work? And sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and we have to ask for what we need. You know, it wasn't easy for me to ask my mother-in-law uh, to look after my son and to have him sleep over mm. one night a week. But we did that for years. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? We forget that actually when, or we don't know, that when we ask someone to do something for us, it's actually a gift for them as well because there's research that shows that when we do something for someone else with an open heart, that we get all of these great chemicals oh, released yeah. in our brain. Dopamine, serotonin, yeah. oxytocin. Mm. And yet I see a lot of mums. I used to do a careers course for mums, helping mums get back to work. And they would be so giving to anyone and everyone, but not be able to ask for help. Yeah. I think a lot of mums are guilty of that. Yes. <laughs> and so sometimes I think mums can be their own worst enemy as yeah. well and we really need to get comfortable with asking and knowing and thinking about how do I feel when someone asks me? Mm. How do you feel when someone asks you to do something for them? Yeah, it's great. It's great that I can help them. Yeah, mm. and you feel like a bit chuffed that they value you in that way mm. and they might ask you. But we often don't think about that when yeah, when side of it. Mm. we need to ask. So yeah, yeah, uh, lots of good points there. But um, just before we finish up, are there mm. anything else? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our mums out there? Oh my goodness, um, I feel like I've shared a lot. I feel like I've done a lot of talking here, Carly. And um, I, I think something else I've learned on the journey that might be helpful is. As I said, asking for what we need. Mm-hmm. There's this cool communication technique called um, I statements. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, do you know about yeah. I statements? Oh, my gosh, they're yeah. gold. And I talk about them in Mental Health First Aid and often people um, are not familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I find them so helpful when I'm communicating. Mm-hmm. So uh, what an I statement looks like is just owning what we're experiencing uh and you know sharing that with somebody else so an example i give is my partner's a tradie right he he works in a workshop environment and hot he works he's like a uh, he's called a sheet metal worker which is like a welder metal fabrication you know hot heavy lifting uh, no air conditioning in the environment you know in summer it'll be 45 degrees in that shed you know (laughs) and so when he comes home he wants to lie on the couch right we've been together 17 years i think it took me 15 years to actually say i need help right because what i would either do is dishes around in the <laughs> kitchen frustrated that he wouldn't recognize I need help or I'd be like you're just lying around all the time you know you're not doing anything here eventually I learned about I statements and now I say something like uh, 
I'm feeling really overwhelmed at the moment. There's a lot going on here. I really need help. Can you please do this for me? Totally change things, right? If we use the sort of you statements, you know, uh, and we're sort of like vague in that way, um, we'll often get back defensiveness or they're going to feel attacked. And so it doesn't work. You know, it just meets resistance and goes nowhere. And in fact, just can make things really uncomfortable and unhappy at home. So I'd say I statements are really powerful. Definitely asking for what we need. Uh, When we feel like we're struggling or life's, you know, we're wading through that mud, reaching out to somebody, I think that is just so important. Letting people know that we need some help right now, being vulnerable. It's not easy to be vulnerable, but unless we are, um, we can stay stuck Mm. where we are. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. And um, yeah, it's been a real privilege. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, Carly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Happy Women's Health Week, everyone. Yeah. At the Now in the Future podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information for the community. If you have a question or would like any more information on any of our episodes or have any ideas for future episodes, simply send us an email to engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. And we'll do our best to provide you with the information you require in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now in the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for, and empower people with Down syndrome both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au slash QRD. Down syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.